J.J. Cooper, Kyle Glazer here on another Baseball America playoff podcast presented by my bookie. Another crazy day. Probably, I don't know if you can say it was the most interesting day of the playoffs so far, but if you want to make that argument, especially with the way it ended, I'm not going to push back against you too hard, but I'm going to put you on the spot, Kyle. Was that the most entertaining day of the playoffs so far? I think so. The way it finished with the Potters and the Dodgers and just the tense aspects of all that really the final three innings of that game you add the Rays and the Yankees and the Rays just kind of taking it to them the A's come back against the Astros and Ian Anderson shoving excuse me I I think this was the most entertaining day so far and there's more to come this is this has been a very very interesting postseason so far obviously we've had more games than we normally have to this point and uh, I'm I'm looking forward to see what today holds because there's you got four teams playing for their season today and you know we always see teams really come out hot when it's time to do that it's funny so we talk about at my house you know i have a a a child a daughter who who seems to like drama and we always joke about where did she get that from because we're not a very dramatic family but as i was watching the padres dodgers game i realized there is a part of me that kind of likes drama i like the fact that Bruce Dargaderall reacted that way after watching Cody Bellinger make an amazing game-saving catch. You know, throw basically, if you'd have ended up shirtless at the end of that, it would have been the only step further to go. And to be honest, I love the fact that Manny Machado chirped back at him. I don't really know why, because it wasn't that he was doing it at the Padres. He was doing it basically like his celebration of, whoo, I was saved. But I like that too. I like the fact I don't want these two teams to really like each other. I like the fact that these two teams who have been battling all year, you have the, the established Dodgers, you have the upstart Padres, and you have the two teams kind of like getting chippy and not liking each other. Sign me up. Give me that drama. That is nothing detracted from that game from that. That to me added to it. I wrote about this and talked about it on our pre-playoff podcast. These two teams do not like each other. Obviously, everything with the Rays and Yankees, and I've got a whole damn stable of guys that throw 98, got most of the attention. But I've been covering a lot of games this series. I've written about this rivalry a lot. This has been building. There's been a lot of little moments. There hasn't been a singular big moment. But whether it's guys getting run over at the plate, whether it's bat flips and stare downs, whether it's you know guys getting hit on purpose – this has been building all year and we kind of saw that, you know, kind of go to the next level last night. First and foremost, Cody Bellinger, great players making great plays in the postseason. That's what playoff baseball is about. Again, Fernando Tatis did everything right. He squared up a baseball. He hit the hell out of it and Cody Bellinger robbed him. And that's just an incredible play. And you give Bellinger all the credit in the world The Dodgers, in terms of their celebration, I mean, I get it. Manny Machado had a very, very, very emphatic bat throw. That wasn't a flip. That was a throw screaming, you know, to his dugout, trying to get him pumped up. I understand that. That's what the Potters have done most of the year. But if you're going to do that, you got to be cool with the Dodgers also going a little over the top in their celebrations. And and that's the thing here. There's, as we've seen, the celebrations kind of escalate a little bit, hitters and pitchers as the quote unquote unwritten rules are being broken. 
if you're going to do something, you got to be cool with the other side doing that. Now, this is a very, very passionate series. Again, these two teams do not like each other. You have some long-term implications here. You have short-term implications here. But I thought it added to the series for sure. But I, I want to make sure it doesn't overshadow the great play on the field. And, you know, Cody Bellinger doing what he did. He's had a rough year, but you know, for him to make that play in that moment shows you this is still one of the best, most impactful players in baseball who can do some incredible things. And then we get to the ninth, and the game it wasn't just on the line. The game remained on the line for, for quite a while there. Um, obviously, the Dodgers pull through. Uh, Kenley Jansen hands off to Joe Kelly, and the Dodgers pull through, which puts the – let's just say, let's just start with – which puts the Dodgers in not just an enviable position, but I, I don't see now they're going to do it. And if they do, I will tip my cap. It'll be Red Sox coming back against the Yankees, you know, that basically started the Red Sox run. It would be that level. If, if the Padres come back from this, I know it's a best of five, not a best of seven, but considering the state of their pitching staff, starting pitching, especially all of that, they needed this to be one, one to have a chance. They didn't get that. It's down. They're down two Oh, but with that, like, I also think that the Dodgers came out of that yesterday, a little bit kind of wounded by that as far as the totality of their playoffs as well, because they had to go get their closer and pull him out of a game a three-run lead is something that you know that you should be able to to hold. I wrote the, about this last year. Um, we saw it a little bit in the playoffs. Their resistance to going to Kenley Jansen in Game Five of the NLDS, and we've seen it now again here. This is not the same Kenley Jansen. The Dodgers know that. They've been trying to see if he can get it back, and he's shown it to you in spurts. But look, the short version is. You cannot trust him in the postseason right now to close out a victory for you. Um, he he is just not the pitcher he once was. And that puts the Dodgers in a tough spot. We saw last night when he was in the zone, he was hittable. They go get him. Joe Kelly comes out. Kelly hadn't pitched in nine days, and he immediately walked two guys. Now, give Fernando Tatis and Manny Machado credit. They had some great takes in that up bat. Joe Kelly threw some some good breaking balls down that they held up on. So now if you're the Dodgers, you got to look around and say, who do we trust? If we have a lead in the ninth inning, who do we feel best about giving the ball to? There's not a clear answer. Kenley Jansen is not option A right now. Joe Kelly has had his struggles. We saw last year in game five of the NLDS. And again, last night he got out of it, but walking the first two batters you face is not great. Although again, Having not pitched in nine days, that's a tough spot for him. You know, Brewster Gratterall has this big stuff, but he does not miss bats. He has not missed bats all year. I mean, to be honest, the Dodgers' best reliever right now is Victor Gonzalez, but he's also a 24-year-old rookie who's never pitched the ninth inning in his career. And yes, pitching in the ninth is very different than pitching in the sixth, seventh, and eighth. So they don't have a great option. We've talked about the Dodgers are the best team in baseball this year. They should win this World Series. They have five legit starters. They have a one through nine lineup. They have full health. They are in better position than any other team in Major League Baseball right now. But the bullpen has been their Achilles heel at times. They have 
at times made moves to address it, but they've never gone out and gotten the big closer who can make a difference for them. And that could be what causes them to pay a price. I don't think it will be this series. The Potters, again, just with the pitching staff, the way it is, Clevenger and Lament not being healthy, it, it just makes it tough for them to, to come back. It makes it tough for them to have won this series in the first place. But you get in against the Braves, and all of a sudden that offense is coming to the plate in a close game in, in the ninth, and they're, you know, they have Freed and Anderson, or you get to the World Series, and whether it's the Rays, the Yankees, the Astros, the A's, you don't feel great about any of your options on the mound in the ninth inning in a close game. And the Dodgers are going to have to figure this out, whether it means getting Joe Kelly more regular work, whether it means moving Victor Gonzalez into some ninth inning spots to see how he handles it. They've got to figure it out because it's been clear for well over a year now, but but we just keep seeing that, that as much as Kenley Jansen is a great pitcher who's had a great career, he's at the point in his career now where – you just can't trust it in the ninth inning of a tight game. And we'll be interested to see, you know, what they do because it kind of felt like that, that yesterday was yet another sign that at, at the minimum, this is going to be bullpen closer by committee, which uh, the reality of it is, is that he came into that situation. There is times where I am absolutely on board with, you don't always need to use your best reliever in the ninth inning. He came in, you know, that that ninth inning of that game was had a chance to be one of the easier positions that the, the Dodgers were in all night. You know, thanks to the, the two runs in the bottom of the seventh, they came into the ninth with a with with the big lead. You know, it's it's something where I, we'll be interested to see. And now Padres here. I, I again, they've they've managed that that was a very uh, a very gutsy performance and and give Zach Davies credit. I mean he he battled. He he really wasn't he they he left that game in they were still absolutely positively in that game when he left. And and soon thereafter they got even closer because they did get to Kershaw a little bit in the 6th. But I I what are your chances uh, of of them still pulling out this series? I mean, never say never. Again, this is a really good offense. We saw them come back last night, you know, keep themselves in the game. It's just tough. The Dodgers haven't announced their game three starter yet. But again, you, you look now at the rest of the series, the Dodgers are probably going to have the edge on the mound, assuming, again, they don't outsmart themselves and, and try and be fancy when they don't have to be. They should put Tony Gonsolin on the mound in game three. You know, games four and five, they can – do whatever mix of May and Urias they want. And then if they want to go to Bueller on short rest, they can. Now, May came out of the bullpen in game one. Maybe he goes game five. Urias goes game four. They have a couple things they can do um, as long as, again, they don't get fancy and, you know, have Gratterall pitch the first as an opener and then throw Adam Kalerik in and then try and bring one of those guys. And, like, you have the studs. Let them go out and do their thing. This is, we talked about it beforehand, even if Clevenger and Lamette were fully healthy, the Dodgers were going to be the favorite to win the series. They're the best team in baseball. With those two out, the odds just increase that much more. This should be a Dodgers series win, whether that's a sweep today or a game four tomorrow, you know, we'll see. But um, never say never. The Potters got five innings from Davies yesterday, which they absolutely had to get credit to him 
And now Adrian Morhone going today, it's going to be kind of a, a, a bullpen-ish day. Morhone typically goes, you know, two tops. You know, maybe you can get three out of them. But um, the Dodgers, again, they're, they're sitting pretty here. Again, we just have to see how, if they can close the game out. Again, we go back to Jansen real quick. His cutters last night, that got hit. I mean, he was his cutters were 88, 89, 90. This guy who used to throw 96, 97. This is a decline in stuff that's just remarkable. So, well, again, I, if the get into that bullpen and he pitches again, yeah, they have a shot. But just the way it lines up right now, this is still the Dodgers series. And the thing I would say with that for Jansen is, is that this is a decline, but this is a guy. I do think that there is uh, a price to be paid. The Dodgers are always in the postseason, always. Kenley Jansen in the last eight years has effectively pitched another season on top of the regular seasons he's pitched because of the postseason. 51.2 postseason innings over the last, you know, eight years, including that what he's done so far this year, 44 games. That's, that's a pretty, you know, it, it's, he already carries a reasonably heavy workload during the regular season for a reliever. And then, you know, it, I, I think what we are seeing is the, uh, the, the wear and tear some Mariana Rivera's the, the Mariana Rivera's of the world's are the exceptions, not the rules. Kenley Jansen's 33 his stuff just not as good as it used to be. Uh, and that's been somewhat true for a couple of years now. And, you know, as you said, like it's, it's something where when you're throwing those mid nineties, you know, when you're throwing the mid nineties, it's different than when you're, he's, he is a veteran pitcher getting by on guile and a little bit of everything else, you know, location, but it's smarts now, not stuff. And that's and, tough and to do talk about this a little bit that, you know, not having fans in the stands, it really affects closers this year. It's been a, a tough, tough year for a lot of these guys just because they feed off that adrenaline. And he's also had some health problems. And again, he's had a great career, but um, you know, if the Padres get back in this series, I mean, that that's going to be the way they do it. We saw that a little bit last night where they jumped on the bullpen and that would be the formula for, for getting back in the series. Cause the Dodgers are going to have the starting pitching edge pretty much every night out. That was true in game one, as soon as Clevenger went down and that's going to be true the rest of the series. So if the Padres are going to do it, that's how they're going to do it. Before we jump into the second game of the night, we do have a quick message. It's fall. And at my bookie, that can mean only one thing. It's winning season. Winning season means doubling your first deposit. Winning season means free bets, super contests, survivor, and more. At MyBookie, winning season is all about your chance to win big. You can bet the Major League Baseball playoffs. You can bet the NBA playoffs. UFC, NFL, college football. The craziest sports fall of your lifetime is here. It's simple. Make your picks. Win big. Collect your cash. Invest in your intuition. Select from hundreds of futures bets where you can bet games in real time with MyBookie's live betting. Put that big brain of yours to good use. Use promo code BASEBALLAMERICA. That's one word, BASEBALLAMERICA, and double your first deposit. New players get up to $1,000 in free play, designed to add more excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet. Thousands of cross-sports wagers, props, and parlays await. Sign up now to bet with the best and celebrate your victory. Your winning season begins today, only at MyBookie. And we're back. The game that was going on as the Dodgers-Padres game was was getting rolling, Yankees-Rays, we had 
the pitcher that I feel like every Yankees fan wanted to see on the mound in game two, especially after what happened in game two. Here goes Masahiro Tanaka, playoff hero, and the result ended up being much of what it was in game two. Uh, the 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 two-headed Devi Garcia J Hap uh, outing allowed five runs. Rays go on to win. Masahiro Tanaka comes out. Randy Rosarena is still so hot that you 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 kind of have to avert your eyes as you watch him because it it really it's like staring into a, like a fire from like two feet away. You know, it's like okay, it feels a little warm. Five, but Tanaka allows five runs and the Rays win again. Here we are. The Rays are up two. You know that they, they have a two-one lead. Does not mean this series is over by any means. However, it does mean that the Yankees have now used. They had two starters, so I would say they viewed as kind of a notch above the rest of their rotation. They've used both of them, and they're behind in the series with Jordan Montgomery being asked to carry a very heavy load. So I think the first thing we have to address about this series, and I've been covering all games of this series, it was their last three games. I'm going to be out there again game four tonight. A lot of the focus has been on what the Yankees have done wrong, and we can talk about this later. I know you you spoke about it with Josh on yesterday's podcast, and you and I, as usual, have opposite feelings about this. But I don't think enough credit has been given to what the Rays have done right. Let's just be very, very frank here. The Rays are the better team. I'm a big believer in you are what your record is. The Rays had the best record in the American League this year. They ran away with the East. And yes, the Yankees had some injuries. Guess what? The Rays had a lot of injuries too. The Rays have come out and beat up whoever the Yankees have put on the mound the last two games. Starters, relievers, openers, traditional starters. Doesn't matter. They're getting big hits from numbers eight and nine hitters. Kevin Kiermaier and Michael Perez yesterday had home runs as well as Kiermaier had an RBI double and Perez opened the scoring with an RBI single on a scorched liner that just went over LeMahieu's glove at second. I mean, the Rays are getting contributions one through nine in their lineup. Their pitching staff, they set the postseason strikeout record for a nine-inning game in game two. And yesterday they came out and, and Charlie Morton, you know, pitched well, got – out of a bit of a jam in the third, but on the whole kept the damage to the minimum. And then the bullpen came in and shut the Yankees down for the most part, aside from Giancarlo Stanton hitting another mammoth home run. The Rays are playing really, really well right now. And I think it's important to give them credit. It's not just about what the Yankees have done wrong. It's what the Rays have done right. And again, this was the best team in the American League this year. They beat the Yankees eight out of 10 times. This is the better team because, again, you are what your record is. And for all the Yankees' injuries, the Rays had a bunch themselves. So um, I, I think that's first and foremost. And, look, now the Yankees have to respond. Jordan Montgomery has has not been great this season. And this is why, for me, I definitely preferred, hey, go Cole, Tanaka. You can use Happ in game three, Garcia in game four, Montgomery maybe. You know, you don't have to start. You can go to Cole on short rest in game five. I like the way the rotation lines up more in that sense that way. But what's done is done, and, and now they got to perform. I mean, we talk about strategy all the time. At the end of the day, the players got to play. And right now, the Rays players are outplaying the Yankees players, at least the last, you know, two, the last two nights. I, to me, as again, I know that I am on an island 
I'm in one of those islands in the South Atlantic that, you know, they have to send boats to once a month because it's too far for helicopters to fly to it. I get it that I'm here in a very small world. You're going to have to pitch J-Hap in this series. That's mm -hmm. the reason that you have, you know, and by the way, I know he wasn't very good in game two. However, he was utterly, he was absolutely one of the Yankees four best starters if you're pushing it five you could argue he was their third best third fourth or fifth best starter the difference between Devi Garcia Jordan Montgomery J-Hap during the season not all that much you expect he's going to pick Hap, it's actually pretty significant like Hap was their third best starter by a pretty wide margin I mean he had a I, would, I would disagree with that because his ERA was better but his FIP was worse than those guys and Devi Garcia and Jordan Montgomery did go a little deeper sometimes in games like so I, I mean, again, I think it's debatable, but you know, it, it is, it is absolutely, especially Jordan Montgomery, if I remember right, Jordan Montgomery, I think three of his last four starts went seven. Um, but I, I have to look that up now because maybe my, my data is wrong on that, but, um, but whatever it is, he was going to pitch in this series. And I, I think too much is being made by Yankees fans about, Oh, it'd have been different for Tanaka if he'd have pitched game two. He would have been facing Glasnow instead of Morton. I don't know how different, like the reality of it is, is like you said, I think you rightfully said it, which it is the reality beyond everything else is I just think this Rays team may be better than the Yankees. They were better over the course of the season. This is a, a Rays team that won 96 last year that, you know, looks, they have a bullpen. If you said which team, we just talked, we were just talking about Kenley Jansen and like, okay, who's going to close for the Dodgers? Rays don't have that problem because the Rays have like seven guys that they feel maybe eight that they feel comfortable pitching the ninth, you know, and by the way, the one of them has already got a save in the postseason, one who never got a save during the regular season. It is all about matchups. It's all about different looks. And that's really tough if you're the Yankees. And, you know, again, they're, I, this series is by no means over. It would not surprise Giancarlo Stanton. Like I said, Randy Rosarena is glowing red hot. So is Giancarlo Stanton, who is also making his presence well-known in this series. But that said, two of the best teams, uh, whoever wins this series, I do believe will be the favorite in the ALCS against the A's or the Astros. And this is, you know, a heavyweight, <laughs> a heavyweight bout. If we go back to, I'm going old school, like, you know, back when those mattered in the forties, fifties and sixties, but it's a heavyweight bout. They're, both teams are, are landing plenty of blows, but so far the Rays have just been a little bit better. Yeah, so just to, to kind of go back real quick, um, Montgomery had actually struggled toward the end of the year. He uh, did not pitch you know, particularly well in September, whereas Hap had actually been really, 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 really good. Hap had two bad starts to open the year. His final seven starts, he had a 2-3-4 ERA. He actually had a really good year, and it goes back to buy and it was very, very, very clear. Jay Happ did not love this arrangement, was not bought in. And, and we can talk strategy all we want, but as Heather Kepner in the New York Times pointed out, you know, Heim Bloom said it back in 2018 when he was with the Rays, the players have to be bought in on it. And, and it's very, very clear the Yankees players were not because they're doing something unfamiliar they don't like. And as soon as that's clear, the front office needs to scrap it. If the players are not bought in, it's not going to work. This game is played by human beings, not robots. And, for me, that, that's where the mistake is. You've got to know your clubhouse. You've got to know your players. You can present them with this plan, and if they say no, you got to scrap it. And 
right now with the way Hap had pitched this season compared to, again, Garcia had not looked great down the stretch. Jordan Montgomery really did not. Yeah, you're right. I, I apologize on that. I have my I have my data wrong there. Thank you for clearing that up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just I go back to put your best pitchers out there, let them do what they do best. And for the Yankees, that meant Cole one, Tanaka two, Hap three, Garcia four. Maybe you can you know piggyback him with Montgomery if you want to play the matchup game, and go back to Cole game five. So. Again, it might not have mattered. The Rays, again, as we've talked about, they're, they're the better team. But it just goes back to me putting your players in the best position to succeed. And if you're doing something they're not bought in on, you're not doing that. And I just think we, we needed to see a little more feel in that regard from the Yankees with front office and, and the coaching staff in regards to, hey, let's talk to our players. Let's gauge how they feel about this. And if they're not good with it, we need to scrap. Uh, by the way, I'm also going to push back on Jay Happ if he's not good with it. Jay Happ, basically, this, I, I, I get it. Players, you know, like to think of themselves in their, 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 their rosiest scenario. This is the role that he had last year for, you know, for them in the playoffs. It, it, it again, it is absolutely true that if the Rays had started Jay Happ in that game, and after two, two to three innings, pulled him because he'd given up four runs. And then they brought in Devi Garcia. And Devi Garcia battled through an inning where he allowed, you know, a home run, 27 pitches in an inning. And then they had turned it to the bullpen at that point because they were down five, you know, what, you know, they had given up five runs. Everyone would look at this and say, ah, Jay Happ didn't pitch well. The Yankees did him a favor, I would say, in some ways. I, I, I agree with you. I follow what you're saying about they, they didn't get by it. But the Yankees kind of did him a favor in some ways because instead of the focus being on the fact that Jay Happ did not pitch well, the focus instead is, oh, the Yankees put Jay Happ in a position where he didn't succeed, where I kind of feel like that the exact same thing may have happened you know, in the exact opposite version. And because Debbie Garcia is the rookie, everyone then would have said, ah, they went with the tag team of, of Happ and Garcia. And then they're given game four to Montgomery, you know, or they'd have done this in game three, which would have been the, you know, they would have been down. They'd still be in the same result. I think, I don't think Masahiro Tanaka suffered significantly because he got an extra day of rest, which has generally worked out well for him. You know, I, again, I, I just think, Rays are really good, and uh, you know we'll we'll see where this goes from here. And, and again, that is something that, as we just dove into that debate, again we can't lose sight of that. The Rays are a really, really good team. They you're they are capable of of beating up on anyone they play. Again, they have the best record in the American League this year. I can't emphasize this enough. They beat the Yankees eight out of ten times. They had a bunch of injuries as well. I keep repeating because I think the point needs to be driven home. I, I think there's been a little bit of a sense of, oh, you know, the Yankees, you know, they, they should be winning this series. Well, no, you can do everything right and on the up and up and, and still lose. And again, the Rays are the better team. Let's be clear about that. They showed that over the course of the season. Um, but the Yankees are still in this. It's two games to one. The Rays, because they have three really good starters, but then the fourth spot, you can argue gets a little dicey, although I would argue Ryan Yarbrough has pitched really, really well this year. They're going with an opener situation today. But again, they're more comfortable with it. Their players are bought in on it. They're, they've done this before. They didn't do it much this year, but 
over the course of the last few years, they've done a, a decent amount. So that that's where it's different when the Rays do it versus the Yankees do it. It's that player comfort, that player familiarity. It's the player buy-in. And um, we'll see. The Yankees, again, Giancarlo Stanton is white hot right now. They absolutely have the bats to get back in this series. They can get in and win this, especially if they get to game five and Garrett Cole gets to start again. Um, so they're not dead. Let, let's let's be clear here. They're, let's not bury them yet. But the Rays are in a good position right now, and we'll see if they can finish it and, off tonight. And that's the thing I'll say for the Rays. You mentioned they haven't used it as much this year. The reason they haven't used it as much this year is their starting rotation, which the opener for them was something created when they started doing it out of necessity because they had a, a very thin rotation. They had injuries, you know, and they looked around and said, what is the best way for us to win games? And they said, we don't feel like with it. bringing up a guy who effectively is our number seven, number eight starter in the organization and asking that player to get 15 to 20 outs is probably not our best approach. So they went to that this year. I, again, I'm just saying this because I give credit to the Rays on this. I think this is something that teams should always do, which is how do we figure out ways you can argue that this is me arguing against myself here, but how do I put ourselves in position where our players can, can best succeed now that they have added Tyler Glasnow to Charlie Morton to Blake Snell, they, they have managed to put themselves in a position where it's like, you know what? We have starters. Although in Blake Snell's case, they're like, you know what? We think that Blake Snell is great at getting 15, 18, maybe 20 outs, but they basically all year said, look, Blake Snell's not a guy who we want. He, he's not going to get 24 outs for us. They don't think that that was his best way. They do a really good job of that. You look at their outfield, their lineup. It's like they do game in, game out. It's like, how do we put guys in situations where they can succeed? And I, I give them credit for that, that I, I can't even, sometimes I know that they're platooning in this game somehow but it's so complicated how they're platooning that if you're on the outside and you don't have the information they have, you may not be able to easily figure out how they're platooning it that day. Again, the depth that they've built is just super impressive. That's 60 different lineups in 60 days. They plugged in a bunch of guys who have, you know, been effective. They haven't, you know, really suffered a whole lot from, from all the injuries they had this year. Some, some guys slumping this year. You know, Randy Rosarena, who I had the big article up today uh, on BaseballAmerica.com. I mean, he was a call-up in, in August. He was not someone that they planned to have be a key part of their team on opening day this year. And now he's the hottest hitter in the postseason after a really hot stint to finish the year. They, they've built up a tremendous amount of talent in this organization that's allowed them to, to mix and match. And that's a credit to them. Um, you know, and again, just to kind of finish on this point, one of the things that, that I've talked about a lot and that got lost in the whole, oh, look what the Rays are doing, the opener. Let's let's see if we should do it too. The Rays did that when they had no other options. When their pitching staff got decimated, as you pointed out, as soon as they, through trades and, and just health, had healthy starters, they let them pitch. Again, Snell, Morton, Glasnow. You know, Ryan Yarborough this year, he only did this once. Every other game was a typical start for him. Hey, you know, five, six pitch into the seventh inning. They only did this with him once this year in 11 outings. 10 of his 11 starts were just normal, regular starts. So and that's partially why I would have preferred to see them just stick with that. You know, it's what Yarborough's done and been good at all year, but I understand why they're going with it and we'll see how it works out tonight. 
So let me, one thing before we jump on to other games that I want to get your thoughts on this. I think we agree on this. We, you know, we agree on some things we disagree on, but I think we agree on this. And I'm trying to work up a story for, for the site about this. And I, I struggle with coming up with the answer for how you can do it. That said, I don't ever want to go back to having off days in a best of five division series. I love the way that this has brought back. This makes this best of five division series much more like the regular season. I love the fact that you have seen starting pitchers in some of these games be in a situation where if this was, we're going to play two, we're going to have an off day. We're going to play, you know, if this was something where the off days were there, teams probably would have pulled the guy, but because they know in the back of their head, we're really going to tax our bullpen this week. They haven't. The fact that we're in a situation where we're saying, okay, you're going to have to use your number four starter in this series. If you go, he goes four, you don't have a choice. I love that. Now, getting there in a normal season where we're not playing at neutral sites is very difficult, but I don't want to see this go away. This is the change of all the changes. This is the change I've most enjoyed. There's no question that it's much more like real baseball playing five games in five days. You know, I think back to the 2009 ALCS between the Angels and Yankees, and I remember this specifically because Mike Sosha talked about it. Games four, five, and six, they played three games in six days to finish that series out. And again, it's not really the rhythm of a baseball season. Now travel's a part of that. And, and that's where it's going to be really difficult to play five and five days, seven and seven days once we get back to normal because you have to have a travel day in there. And I'm, I'm covering playoff games and empty ballparks. And let, let me be clear, this is awful. Let's never do this again. This is weird. It's eerie. It's dead. It's just very, very strange and not good for anyone. So if I had to trade, okay, five games in five days for – having fans back in the stands and playing in your home parks and you can't do it because you have to have a travel day. I'll take that trade every single day. Um, but in general, yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely something to be said for this more resembles the rhythms of an actual baseball season. And it puts the onus on teams to, yeah, get something from your starting pitchers, have them go deep into games. And, and I think that's good for the game as a whole. I, again, and again, I, the, the, that is the, the tricky part is, is, trying to figure out how you could possibly do this, but I don't like, <laughs> I don't like us playing a regular season one way. And then we get to the postseason. And it's like, by the way, now there's enough off days that you can, if you have three or four good relievers, you can just use them in every game and you can pull your starters after four. I, I would love the idea that teams would go, into the trade deadline thinking, you know what? If we can find a number four starter who we actually feel comfortable starting in a playoff game, that's very important for us because we know we're going to probably have to use that guy. I would love that. Now, yeah, go, sorry. The one thing I was going to say is this. Now the Braves are, you know, uh, to segue this kind of to another game, the Braves are right now so far basically like, who needs four? You know, as long as we've got Freed and Anderson, we can win these series maybe without ever seeing, even having to ever announce who a number four starter is. But overall, I do like the idea. Again, I, I do too. It's just, what is that at the expense of? And being in these stadiums, you know, 
I've I've definitely had the thought, you know, watching the Yankees and the Rays playing an empty Petco Park while the streets around the park are dead and empty. It's just this is just weird. This is just it's 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 not great for anyone. I mean, it's it's cooler here. I'm very fortunate to be in the ballpark. I'm enjoying covering the series. I'm enjoying watching these these incredibly talented players play. Um, but baseball is a game meant to be enjoyed by the oh, mass. And the fact I, that- I, I agree. I'm not saying that way. I'm saying yeah, like yeah. my proposal is going to be. You know what? We're trying to figure out ways that we make the postseason, the regular season still matter. One of the ways to do that is congratulations. You're the top seed. You get all five games. Like that would be a way you could do it. And that would be something where you're saying you're still in it, but you know what? You don't get to have a home game in this series. Get to the CS. You know, we're talking about a different thing, but one of the ways you could do this is say the reward for winning 94 rather than 88 is you get to play every game of that series at home. It would be a little unconventional, but it, it doesn't alter the, uh, the, it, it puts more weight on the regular season, which is one of the things I worry that we're losing if all this. I say anything they can do where they do that, and are still able to have playoff games played in, in home parks, I'm all for it. I just think it's important to ensure that games are played in, in regular home parks and not neutral sites just to make it five games in five days. I think the home park priority comes first. But, well, we'll, we'll get back to Braves uh, Marlins, but we did want to get – we're going to kind of work our way backwards here. The A's stay alive. The A's – just basically cranking homer after homer. It was solos for a long while, but then they did figure out, hey, we can also hit home runs with runners on base, which is even better. And so the A's stay alive. That series is now 2-1. We don't know, but it looks unlikely that Zach Reinke is going to be able to pitch in this series. I mean, again, there's no structural damage, but the post-announcement of there's no structural damage for Zach Reinke was – the hope is, it seemed like the hope was that he would be able to pitch in the ALCS if the Astros get there. Do the A's still have a shot in this thing? It's now 2-1. Or you, you look at this Astros lineup, you look at the, the yeah, again, the, the fact that this is a team that's done this so many times. I, I, I'm still thinking the Astros pull this one, pull this one out. I mean, the A's have a shot. They, they really do. That was a huge win for them yesterday. I mean, Liam Hendricks, can we talk about that guy? Three innings, one hit after he's been, you know, exposed to some big workloads this entire postseason. I mean, wow. That was just, that was awesome. Uh, that was really, really something special. And yes, he was absolutely helped by the shadows, but still, this guy has come out and performed. And I think it's just been really, really impressive to watch. The biggest thing for me in this series that's jumped out, and you had asked me on our pre playoff podcast what factors these neutral sites would have. And I mentioned Dodger Stadium and Petco Park. You know, they're both pitchers parks, especially at night in the fall. Ball doesn't really carry. Well, we've seen at Dodger Stadium 18 home runs in three games, which is a record. Two big things with that. The fact they've played this entire series as day games is a huge, huge, huge component. The ball does fly during the day. It's at night when the temperature's cool, things really, really, really start to slow down. We saw Will Smith's uh, 
long drive in game five of the NLDS last year is a really good example of that. He thought it was a home run off the bat. It fell short of the wall. That's what happens at Dodger Stadium at night. And the other thing is it's been unseasonably hot here in Southern California. We've been having, you know, days in the upper 80s, mid 90s here, end of September, early October, which is unusual. So the balls here travel very, very, very differently at noon when it's 95 then at 7:30 when it's 78 and we've seen that the fact that every series has been pl- every game of this series excuse me has been played during the day is a huge 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 reason why we're seeing the ball fly the way it is i mean there's been a couple balls you see the pitchers go what the heck how did that get out so with that and you add two very powerful offenses we're seeing a home run explosion i i expect nothing less again it's these are still day games it's still very warm here it's cooled off a little bit the last few days but it's still been a bit warmer than normal. This is going to be a slugfest. And we saw the Astros, you know, when they don't get the starts they need from their starters and they can't tandem start them a little bit, their pure, their pure bullpen is vulnerable. And that's why, to me, the A's still have a shot. The, the ball's going to keep flying. The Astros' arms, we're starting to maybe see them fall off a little bit. Um, to me, that gives the A's a, a shot still. I, okay, I got to ask you. I, and, you know, I, when Fitzy was still at, at BA, when he was living out West, you know, we always heard about the Marine layer, the Marine layer. Are we talking about the Marine layer? Is that what happens at night or is that a different thing? Sometimes again, it just, generally speaking, you know, cooler air, like it, it slows down anyway. And these are pitchers parks, uh, but yeah, the Marine layer does absolutely have an effect. Um, just, just depends on the time of year and, and the weather's gotten weirder and weirder out here. So um, yes, there are times that is what is causing some of the effect, you know, but um, this is, yeah, this is the series that is all about the home runs. This is the postseason, as most postseasons are, that are about home runs. But this is the series that is all about the home runs. And we saw that again yesterday. The ball is flying. Um, I, Frankie Montas versus, I, I'm trying, I, I don't remember. Have you seen, like, who's, who's the, uh, has, have the Astros announced a starter yet? I've missed it if they have. They have not officially announced it. It's still listed as TBD on MLB.com. So, um, yeah, we have to see what they decide to do. And, again, we talked about the Astros. It's going to be interesting to see how they piece these last two games together. Um, again, they use Christian Javier in game one, and that would have been maybe your natural game four starter. So how they maneuver this, I'm going to be interested to see. The Astros are certainly sitting pretty. They can absolutely win this series. But, but I don't think the A's are out of it because of where the Astros pitching is, as well as the other factors we cited. And so that gets us to the, the finale, which was the first game of the, uh, the day yesterday. We have Braves-Marlins. We have, uh, again, if we talk about the Padres-Dodgers is chippy, Braves-Marlins is chippy too. And I like chippy in the postseason. Two teams who know each other pretty well and sometimes seem to get a little annoyed with each other. Um, Braves bats have also been kind of a one of the stories, but I think the story of yesterday was Ian Anderson, who yet again, as he's done really time and time again since he came up, I, it's hard to think of someone who – it's hard to think of a rookie stepping into a more important role than what Ian Anderson has. He arrives to a Braves team that – had just lost, had lost Mike Soroka and every candidate they had for someone to fill a spot in the rotation, 
besides Max Fried, kept basically bursting into flame, you know, to go Spinal Tap reference here. They didn't have any other starters who they were, felt comfortable with. They were, they were piecing together Johnny Holstaff over and over and over and over. Ian Anderson shows up, and all of a sudden, snap your fingers, they have two front-of-the-rotation starters. He did that again yesterday. I keep talking about his command. I'm going to keep talking about his command. His ability to mix pitches, but to throw fastballs with purpose. It's not 102 or anything like that. It's, it's firm. But to throw fastballs in the zone, but on the edges of the zone that get strikes, just really stands out to me. He did it again, and the Braves are up 2-0. Yeah, you know, it's been really, really amazing to watch. And yesterday I saw a couple people mention this. Jason Stark wrote about it a little bit. Uh, you know, Ian Anderson reminding people of Steve Avery a little bit and what Avery did in the 1991 postseason. Now, obviously, Anderson's right-handed. Avery was left-handed, but just the poise, the maturity. But I think what Anderson's doing is even more remarkable because Avery was 21 in 1991, but he had pitched in the majors the year before. He had 20 starts the year before that. He'd had big league experience. And that and gotten 19- beat up. <laughs> He'd right. gone through and that portion too. Yeah. And the 19 that 1991 Braves team also had Tom Glavin, Charlie Liebert, John Smoltz. They had a good rotation. Avery had had a year in the majors. This was year two for him. He'd had that experience. Ian Anderson, this is year one, and the Braves needed him in the worst way, as you mentioned. I think that makes what Ian Anderson has done even more impressive than what Steve Avery did in that 1991 postseason so far, just given he this is his first run through the majors and the Braves needed him even more than they needed Avery back then. I mean, when you say even more, yeah. Again, Steve Avery was, was useful, but you're right. Like, we don't talk about that 1990. Steve Avery was great in the 1991 postseason, but my memory of that for the Braves will be John Smoltz, you know, not Steve Avery. Right now, the Braves are up 2 0, and it is amazing. Kyle Wright will get the start today. This is the first time because they also went 2 0 in the uh, first round. It's the first time the, the Braves have even had to dip into their third starter. They don't really have a number four starter right now. I guess it would be Josh Tomlin. But uh, again, if they. If Kyle Wright pitches today as he did in the final three weeks of the regular season, it's going to be a tough call for them because they're, they're facing up against Sixto Sanchez, who's another rookie who's really, really good. But the Braves have a chance to go into the NLCS having not had their, their clear glaring weakness exposed in any way because the deeper they go, their, their starting pitching falls off a cliff. But if you keep getting uh, not just wins, but shutouts from your, uh, from your number one, number two starter, that doesn't matter nearly as much. The depth of the Braves rotation was the question mark. I tweeted out yesterday, their starting pitchers have been great this postseason, and it's all been Fried and Anderson. This is where it's going to get interesting for the Braves. Sixto Sanchez is the better pitcher than Kyle Wright. Braves yes. have the better offense. So I'll be curious to see how today goes and then potentially tomorrow as well. We have to see what happens. The Braves are in great shape. We talked about before they should win this series. They they, they have faced two offenses and, and not to discredit Fried Anderson. These are really good pitchers regardless. Um, you know, the Reds and Marlins, both of them finished bottom 10 in the majors this year in runs um, and a lot of the offensive numbers, you know, OPS, average, et cetera. So they haven't faced the juggernauts yet, and assuming they face the Dodgers in the NLCS, it's going to be very, very, very different. But 
you can only pitch against who you're out, out there against. Fried and Anderson have done that and done it brilliantly. You know, Kyle Wright was better toward the end. This is going to be a very telling game for me, just how far the Braves can go. Because if Kyle Wright goes out and gets bombed and then they have to piece it together in game four, that tells me that their NLCS hopes they're, they're probably going to get, you know, maybe they'll get a game off the Dodgers, maybe two if they're lucky. But if he comes out and dominates and continues on what he did toward the end of last season, that tells me, okay, maybe the Braves do have a shot to get past the Dodgers here. I'm going to be really curious to see what happens today in that context. And the interesting thing with that also will be the right faced the Marlins twice this year and, and they got him pretty well both times. Uh, he was knocked out after three innings, uh, actually knocked out in the fourth on August 21st, three innings, two hits, three runs, six walks. And then he also gets knocked out in the fourth. He leaves after four innings in a loss on September 8th. That was kind of the, 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 the turning point was really his next start after that. Didn't pitch incredible, but, but outpitched Max Scherzer as the, the, the Braves beat the, the Nationals on September 13th. Pitched great against the Mets, his best start of the season, six and a third, one hit, no runs in his next outing. And pitched well against the, the Red Sox to finish the season. We Yes, I completely agree with you. They need Kyle Wright to be – he doesn't have to be great, but he can't be awful, and he's been awful at times. If he's just eh, they can survive eh because their bullpen, they will not – if he gets to the fourth or fifth, their bullpen's deep enough. They're not going to give him a lot of rope to see, oh, can he work through this. But he can't give up three in the first – four in the second, things like that, which have happened sometimes with him. He can't have that big inning, which that's been the problem for him. And again, they're facing Sixto Sanchez. I feel pretty confident Sixto Sanchez is not going to give up that big inning because Sixto Sanchez doesn't really give up a whole lot of big innings. Again, th this is going to be, I think, the most telling game of the postseason for just how real of a World Series contender the Braves are because if they don't have a number three starter who can pitch well against a bottom 10 offense, they're not truthfully probably a World Series contender. But it will be fun today. We're going to wrap this one up, you know, because we got to get this up before the game start again today. Another cavalcade of baseball today. It may start tailing off after today. As you said, all four of these games are if, if the, if the, if one team wins, it's over. If the other wins, we keep playing. So we could have four games tomorrow, or we could have we could have no baseball. I don't, I don't want that. I want at least one of these series has to go on. But anything before we wrap up, Kyle, anything we didn't cover that 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 stands out to you? I think we covered it. Again, I'm going to be very curious to see how the Rays' decision to go opener today works out. But um, I'll be still in San Diego covering that series, and I look forward to seeing how it plays out because it's certainly been very, very, very compelling. Uh, it will be here. I'm, I'm very excited to see it as well. So for Kyle, I'm JJ here on the Baseball America Playoff Podcast presented by MyBookie. We'll be back again tomorrow. So long, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>